Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved him to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, you, the one who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you is. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hey, everyone. Like we said earlier, my name is Kyle. I'm a ministry associate at City on a Hill Brighton. And let me just say from the beginning that I'm really excited to be with you guys. Um, I really appreciate, as a church, um, and also for uh, Pastor Fletcher, just the invitation to come and teach this morning. Um, so this morning, what I want to talk about is love and service. And from the passage that we just read, we see Jesus giving this example of humble, sacrificial love. Um, you know, uh, Alex and I, uh, Alex, my wife, and I, we've been in Boston for about a year, and just an example of how we felt this kind of sacrificial love in our lives. Uh, when we were moving to the city, I'm sure almost all of us know, you know, moving from one city to the next, super expensive. And so when we were moving up to Boston, uh, we had some friends of ours who were incredibly generous with us, like gave a ton of their resources to love on us and to make sure that the transition to the city was smooth, and it's like that kind of sacrificial, humble, generous love that I want to talk about this morning. So um, I think we all feel that in our lives probably. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe for you, you're exhausted from serving so much. Right? You are just worn out from everything in life. Or maybe for you, you're kind of hesitant to serve. Or maybe you're just over it. Like you don't you don't want to keep getting into the messiness of people's lives. I think all of us, we feel this tension, like serving and loving people can be really tough. And so that's what I want to get at in John 13. And so uh, the passage we're looking at, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, it marks this major transition in the book whenever we see that the death of Jesus is now approaching. So chapter 13, verse 1, it opens up like this. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, 
when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And so this just sets the stage for everything that we're looking at today. That Jesus, he knows that his death is coming. Like it's right around the corner. They're about to take the Passover meal and Jesus is headed to the cross. Like that's the entire rest of the Gospel of John. And so Jesus, knowing that death is around the corner, what he decides to do is love his disciples and to wash feet. And so that's what we're going to look at. And I think Jesus, he's showing us at least three things about love. He's showing us a demonstration of love, a symbol of love, and an example of love. And so I want to look at them in that order. A demonstration, a symbol, and then an example. So first, let's start with the demonstration of love. Jesus demonstrates this love that's humble and sacrificial. So look with me at verse 1 of John chapter 13. The end of the verse, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or some other translations would say, to the uttermost. And both are right. Like, to the end, to the uttermost. It's, um, it's a double entendre. Like, what John is getting at is that Jesus is loving his disciples up until his death and in a way that's, like, deep and full and complete. And so that's setting the stage for the rest of this chapter, the love of Christ on display for his disciples. But verse 2 shows us part of the problem. Uh, it says, The devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we see that Judas and Satan, they've teamed up now. And this is a stinging betrayal for Jesus. I mean, Judas, he is one of the 12 disciples, right? Like he is one of Christ's closest friends. And now Judas teams up with Satan to now betray Jesus. So Jesus is going to be murdered on a cross. So this betrayal, I mean, this, this stings and hurts for Jesus. And um, even with betrayal coming, verse 3 reminds us, Jesus is powerful. It says that uh, he's literally in charge of everything. Like the way that the verse says it, the Father has given all things into the hands of Jesus. And we also see Jesus, he's come from the Father, he's going back to the Father. And so just think with me for a moment. We would expect, knowing here's Judas, he's going to betray Jesus, and here's Jesus with all power. Like literally everything in the world is in his hands. We would expect verses 4 and 5 to say, and so Jesus with all power decided to put an end to Judas, right? Like he's just going to stop him. Jesus, all power, Judas is a betrayer, and so Jesus is just going to stop him in his tracks and make sure this doesn't happen. And that's not what happens at all, which is what makes verses 4 and 5 so shocking. Um, if we look at verses 4 and 5, Jesus, he gets up from dinner, and he shatters all the cultural customs of his day, right? It says that Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. And... Um, like, these are dirty, nasty feet. I'm sure some of you in here, you hate feet. Like, you hate when, like, like, people not wearing socks is, like, your worst nightmare. Like, these feet are so much worse, right? Like, people walking around in sandals in um, the Middle East. Like, these are dirty, disgusting, nasty feet. And so Jesus, he gets up, and he actually, he, uh, he changes his clothes, and he puts on a towel, and he starts to actually wash them. Like his hands are on these like dirty, grimy, nasty feet to clean them. And get this, like even during the life of Jesus, 
uh, washing feet was considered too low of a task, even for some slaves. Like some slaves weren't even allowed to wash feet because it was considered that low in the hierarchy. And so Jesus now gets up and he starts to wash them. And even more than that, uh, we talked about Judas a second ago. Jesus washes all of the disciples' feet. Like even Judas, the one who's going to betray him. Jesus gets his hands on Judas' feet and wipes them clean. And so what we see Jesus doing here, he is totally overturning the social hierarchy of his day, right? Jesus, he's the master, his disciples following him. And so we would expect maybe disciples wash their master's feet. But here's Jesus, the master, now flipping everything on its head. He is demonstrating a love that is humble and sacrificial and hierarchy-defying. Um, and just to be real with you guys, um, this kind of sacrificial love does not always come naturally to me. Um, my wife and I were talking this week about how probably um, the first six months of marriage, uh, I was terrible at just like cleaning stuff up around the apartment. Uh, maybe some of the married couples in the room, maybe you've had this argument too, uh, where like I just like I, I was just being lazy. I had so much other stuff to do, and so here's this small lower task that like I just didn't make time for. And uh, my wife Alex was very patient with me very kind and humble, and God used that to remind me, like, hey, I need to be humble and serve and, like, even do the little things, like the things that seem unimportant, I need to, I need to wash feet. And so uh, it is really interesting for me to see how even in our, you know, very secular city, Boston, that even secular people still love this idea of, love requiring humility and sacrifice and giving of yourself to help the lowest and the poor and the most needy. Uh, like, just think about any movie you've seen recently that was a big hit, and it's the same story, right? Of the hero who's sacrificing everything so that everyone can be saved. We love the idea, like Christian or non-Christian in Western society, we love the idea of the hero who's gonna sacrifice everything so that the people can be saved. And we continue to believe that we ought to serve and love the least of these. We ought to work to help the poorest and most needy in our society. And I just want to briefly ask, why is that? Why is it that even as more people continue to leave the church, as the Christian influence in um, the West continues to fade, why is it that both Christians and secular people in general, can still agree a lot about what love ought to look like in our society. Um, there's a secular historian, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, um, the historian. He was a great answer to that question. He, uh, in his book, Dominion, he's got a chapter, chapter 20, titled just Love. He does an analysis of uh, Western society toward like the end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st, and he makes this really persuasive argument. Uh, again, this guy is not a Christian. He argues that secular people have smuggled in the Christian understanding of love into their belief system. And not that, you know, not that Christians are perfect. Holland also does a good job of showing that as a Christian community, we also fail to live up to our own ideals sometimes. And yet, there, there's a way that uh, 
secular people have just assumed that like it's self-evident that we ought to love one another, serve those in need, and do everything that we can to help them. And uh, I'm very thankful for that, right? Like our society is so much better off because people in general can still agree about what love ought to look like. But I mean, the thing is, it's not consistent. Like it's not consistent to say, if you hold to purely secular beliefs, to say that there is no God, uh, that morality is relative, that advancement in our species happens when the strong dominate the weak, and at the same time, we ought to love one another and sacrifice everything for the least deserving, right? Like, those two things don't fit together. Um, part, of, you know, part of Holland's whole book is, uh, even though he's not a Christian, he wrote this book, Dominion, because he was studying other ancient societies, and he realized, studying ancient Rome and ancient Greece, the ideals of love that Christians have, like, they're not self-evident. Like, other ancient societies did not think the way that we do today, that somehow weakness is true strength. There's something unique about Christianity and the Bible that shows, hey, we ought to love one another. Um, maybe you could say it like this, that I think secular people, they want the definition of love, but they don't want the definer. And you can't have one but not the other. If you want the definition of love, sacrificial, humble, self-giving, hierarchy-defying, then you also have to take the definer of love himself, the God who is love, who's wired us to love one another, to sacrifice, to serve. We, if we want our society to be a place of love and flourishing, then we have to take the God who is love, who has shown us what love ought to look like. And so Jesus, he's, he's showing us that in this passage. He's getting down, he's washing feet, and it's this beautiful example. So that's the demonstration of love. Uh, but also, I want to look at the symbol of love. So if we keep going in the passage, uh, Jesus, he also shows us that the foot washing, it's not just about the foot washing. It's also about something deeper and more profound. And it seems clear to me that Jesus, he's using the foot washing to point forward to the cross. But let's see it in the text. So verse 6, Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet, uh, but Peter's indignant. If you look at verse 6, Jesus says to Peter, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like there's this stress that's being put between you and my. Like Peter cannot imagine. He thinks it's unbecoming of Jesus. Like, Jesus, how dare you wash my feet? You're going to wash me? No way. Um, and, you know, Peter's doing his typical Peter thing, not understanding what Jesus is trying to get at. And so verse 7, Jesus tells Peter, like, it's okay, Peter. You're going to get it later. This all makes sense to you. Um, after all these other things have taken place. But verse 8, Peter, being Peter, is still incredibly stubborn. Like he just digs his heels in. And he, uh, he gives Jesus this emphatic no. Like, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Uh, I, I won't allow it into eternity. And uh, Jesus, he won't accept Peter's response. Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says, if you want to share with me, if you, uh, if you want to be with me forever, basically, then I must wash your feet. Uh, and Peter, he doesn't want to be washed. Uh, maybe some of us can relate to this. I know I can. That Peter, he's self-righteous. 
He thinks he's good enough on his own. No, Jesus, listen, I don't, I don't need you to wash my feet. I'm fine. Let's not worry about that. Uh, yeah, he's saying, come on, Jesus, know your place. We don't need to be washed. Stop trying to cleanse us. And so Peter, he has misunderstood Jesus. And frankly, I think a lot of us often misunderstand Jesus too. We think we're clean. You know, maybe, maybe this is a little bit of dirt, Jesus, but come on, really? You have to wash my dirt? Stop being so negative, Jesus. Come on, this isn't that big of an issue. Get over it. It's just some dirt. See, we don't get that Jesus, he must cleanse us. Um, we've, yeah, we've, we've failed to understand what it means for God to be love. For God to be love means that he can't ignore the dirt. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. A lot of people think that if you love someone, then you'll just ignore the things that are wrong in their lives. You'll, just, you'll get over it. You'll look past it. You're not going to worry about it. Uh, but that's indifference. That isn't love. If you love someone, then you will hate the thing that is hurting them. You will hate the thing that is making them rot because you love them so much. The opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. And so a lot of people have failed to understand why is it that God hates the dirt in people's lives? It's because he's love. I love the way that C.S. Lewis, in chapter 3 of his book, The Problem of Pain, he says this so beautifully in a way that only C.S. Lewis can. He writes that if God is love, he is by definition something more than mere kindness. And it appears from all the records that though he has often rebuked us and condemned us, he has never regarded us with contempt. He has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, most inexorable sense. So don't you see that, like, Jesus, he is more than mere kindness. He's love. And so because he's love, he's paid us the intolerable compliment. He sees the dirt. And he says, I love you so much that I have to get rid of it, or else it's going to destroy you. You will always be dirty unless I wash your feet and make you clean. He loves us too much to not condemn the dirt and then wash it away. Uh, and so... Verse 9, Peter, he finally realizes this. He finally realizes, okay, I have to be cleaned. Jesus isn't going to let me off the hook. And so then in verse 9, Peter does a Peter thing again, and he swings all the way over to the other extreme. So Peter was saying, Jesus, no, you're, you're never going to wash my feet. And now Peter swings all the way over to the other side. He says, okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll read it. He says, not my feet only but also my hands and my head. Like, keep washing. Don't just stop with the feet. Get more of me. And so Peter, he's missed it again. Uh, but in verse 10, Jesus shows us something amazing. He gives us this window right into the heart of the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, the one who is bathed, and then later in the verse, is completely clean. If he, the one who is bathed is completely clean. You see the foot washing it's not about feet. It is, but it isn't. Jesus is showing that washing feet, it's pointing forward to something bigger and better, to a greater sacrifice. It's pointing forward to the cross, right? Jesus, um, yeah, he's pointing forward to the cross. Philippians 2, 7, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, which Ben read a while ago. I think this explains it perfectly. It says that Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is telling Peter, I will become filth so that you can be cleansed. I will take the intolerable compliment. I will be condemned so that you can have a share in my Father's kingdom. I will go to the cross and die in your place and take your dirt on myself. I will become filth so you can be forgiven and loved and embraced by God simply by faith. Jesus, he's using, Jesus is using the foot washing to point forward to the cross. Um, so the foot washing, it's a symbol of what Jesus is going to do. Um, and so I want to take a moment to just talk about our lives. We, we saw Peter and we saw Judas. And I want to briefly ask, are you like Peter, being self-righteous, thinking you don't need to be cleansed? Or are you like Judas, meaning that you've never actually experienced the washing of Jesus? So uh, first, are you like Peter, meaning that you're self-righteous? Personally, I feel like a Peter sometimes. Um, do you think that you don't need to be cleansed because of how good you are? Or do you think that God just loves you because you've performed so well? You've done so, so much good in your life. How could God not love you? Or when things go really bad, suffering has a way of exposing this, and things go really bad in your life, do you, you know, shake your fist at God? God, how dare you? I've been so good. I've done so much for you. How dare you allow something bad to happen to me? What are you doing in my life? Are you self-righteous like Peter? Um, another great way to show self-righteousness, uh, do you pray? You know, self-righteous people don't, um, because self-righteous people think that it's not necessary. You don't need God to um, intervene and to do something more in your life. Um, and so I would just ask, are you self-righteous? And if that's you, like, just like Peter, come and let your feet be washed. Remember the heart of the gospel, that Jesus is saying, I will become filth so that you can be cleansed. And so come, allow yourself to be washed. Remember, you only are cleansed because of Jesus. That's the only way that you can be clean. Or, second group, maybe you're in here today and you're like Judas. You've never actually experienced the spiritual cleansing that Jesus offers. Maybe, you know, Judas, he knew about Jesus. He was around Jesus a lot. He, you know, he was in the 12 disciples. He knew everything that was going on and he had heard Jesus preach plenty of messages and yet Jesus had never actually embraced it for himself. He never actually come to Jesus and asked, forgive me, wash me clean. I need to be cleansed. And then had his life transformed. And so if that's you, if um, you're here, you've never actually embraced the gospel for yourself. I just want to tell you, scripture promises, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Come to Jesus, embrace him, and he will cleanse you. Um, so that's the foot washing. It's... Um, it's a symbol of the cross. But it's not just a symbol. Jesus, he also goes on to show us that this is an example. And so that's the third thing they show, is the example of love. Um, if you look with me at verse 12, Jesus, he gets dressed again. He sits back down at the table, and then he asks his disciples, okay, guys, do you understand what it is that I've done to you? And it's a rhetorical question, because he's going to keep going and explain to them what it actually means. And then verse 13, Jesus tells disciples, the disciples, you're correct to call me teacher and Lord. 
I am both your teacher. I'm the one instructing you. I'm the one leading you in the way that you should go. And I am your Lord. I am your divine master. Um, Jesus is saying, yes, I, I am also God over you. I'm your Lord. He's both their instructor and their master. And so Jesus, he has the highest role in the disciples' lives. Like we were saying earlier, the hierarchy. Jesus is over his disciples. And then verses 14 through 16, Jesus shows us another meaning of the foot washing. I'll read 14 and 15. It says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And so the foot washing, it's actually, it's also an example. Jesus is saying, I've done this to you. I am your savior. I'm your master. I'm your Lord. And I have washed the feet of my disciples. And now I'm telling you, go and do likewise. Um, Jesus, he defied the social hierarchy to serve his disciples. The master served the sender, or served the disciple. Um, the sender served the messenger. And then verse 17 promises, if you don't just know these things, but like if you actually go in your life and do them, God's gonna bless you. God's promising, this is the way that the church is meant to operate, all of us loving one another and getting into each other's lives. And it's been really cool to see at my home church, City on a Hill Brighton, to watch an example of this play out. Maybe some of you know Haley and Bradley Wright. Uh, if not, they just adopted a little boy from India. Uh, his name's Micah. He was born without arms. Uh, his parents gave him up. So he's put in an orphanage that took terrible care of him and all the other orphans. And the adoption process kept getting delayed. Even though Haley and Bradley, they did all their paperwork and they were ready to go, uh, the court system in India wasn't moving quickly and Micah's health was declining like crazy, holes in his heart and just a ton of health issues. And so Haley and Bradley made the tough decision. They saw our, the son that we want to adopt, he's not okay. And so they realized they needed to go to India. And so they actually, they moved to India for four months to go and take care of him. Like left the comfort of Boston, left everything here to go and move to an entire different country. And um, it was incredibly tough. Like they got sick. They, uh, the orphanage wouldn't let them actually foster Micah, which was in their legal rights to do. Micah's health continued to decline. And um, like, I mean, this put an incredible strain on their family to go and do this. And by God's grace, finally, they um, were able to adopt him. And then we actually, we were at the airport yesterday. And we got to like finally just wrap him up in a hug and like have them home here back in Boston. And um, I think that is a beautiful example of what it looks like to get into some lives and wash some feet. Right? To go to another country, adopt an orphan, and help him live like, <laughs> like they've been washing some feet. And uh, yeah, they, they gave up comforts of Boston to go and do that. And so I just want to briefly talk. Are you serving like that? Are you getting in to the messy parts of someone's life? Like, are you giving until it hurts? Like all the dirty places, the uncomfortable spots that no one really wants to look at. Are you getting into those places in people's lives to serve them, to really give of yourself, to empty yourself, to wash some feet? And 
I would imagine there's probably at least two groups of us in here right now. There's probably the exhausted and there's the hesitant. And so I want to speak to both groups. Maybe you're in here and you just feel exhausted from how much you're serving, right? You hear everything I'm saying about washing feet and you get that. Like you are washing some feet in your life. You are serving people like crazy. Uh, and maybe you're just, you're tired. I know uh, in my life, serving the people who are frustrating is probably the hardest part, right? Can we be honest about that? Like the people who critique you, the people who are annoying, the people who uh, you don't want to be around. Those are the people that like, it's really, really tough to then sacrifice of your time, money, resources to go and serve those people. Maybe for you in your life, it's someone in your community group. Maybe it's uh, a roommate, a parent, a child, a sibling. Maybe for you it's a boss, it's a coworker, it's a professor. Uh, it's, it's someone else in your life. Like, do you have that person in your life that you are just exhausted from serving? Like, you are over it and you just want to be done. If that's you, I just want to say, like, come and let Jesus wash your feet. He is offering you a love and a cleansing that you won't find anywhere else. Come and rest in that. Jesus, he is the ultimate caregiver. He emptied himself so that you could be made whole. His love for you is demonstrated at the cross. Like, come and rest in that. See your Savior who loves you. And so you don't have to always burn out. You can come and rest in Jesus. I also, I do want to talk briefly just about motivations for a second. If you're in that exhausted camp, uh, why is it that you feel like you have to keep serving and keep giving until you have nothing left, until you just, you are burnt out and at the end of your rope? Maybe for you, uh, you feel like you, you will only get your worth in life if you will give enough to other people. If I can meet everyone else's needs, then I am whole, then I am a, a complete person. And if that's you, I just, I want to remind you, listen, Jesus has met your needs. He has come and made you whole by dying on the cross to wash you clean, to make you one who is cleansed. And so you don't need to uh, empty yourself out completely, but you can rest in Jesus. Or maybe for you, uh, you burn yourself out serving because you want to look good. Right, what, what are people going to think about me? If I don't give more, what is it going to look like if I don't show up to another thing? If I don't do that thing for my, for my kids to make sure that, um, you know, what are, other, what are other parents going to think about me? Or what if I don't go the extra mile for my roommate again? What, what's my roommate going to think? Or at work, if I'm not going to perform well enough. Uh, if that's you, if like you're serving to the point of exhaustion because of, of how people are going to look at you, I would just remind you, like Jesus, he's given you his perfect righteousness at the cross. He's cleansed you. And so God looks at you and he sees clean, washed. And so you don't need to worry, what is everyone else going to think? Jesus, he's made you clean. So that's the exhausted. I also, I do want to talk um, briefly to anyone in this room who's maybe hesitant. I'm sure there's some of us in here too. Maybe, um, maybe you've been burned before by a community that expected too much, or a parent or a friend who asked too much of you. So you're like, hey, I, I, I don't want to get into all this, right? I don't want to 
get back into that where I'm having to serve everyone and help them. Uh, maybe you're worried about how much time it's going to take. Or maybe you feel like it's just beneath you. Why should, why should I have to do that thing? Washing feet, really? Like, can't someone else do that? Why should I have to do that? Uh, if that's you and you're hesitant to serve, I just want to remind you from this text, this is the most convicting part of this whole passage for me. The Savior served the betrayer. Like Jesus, he served Judas. He got down and he washed Judas's feet. Like he knew Judas was going to kill him and he still decided, I'm gonna serve that guy. I'm gonna help in all those ways in his life too. And so, uh, and then Jesus looks at us and he says, go do that. <laughs> like he gives us this crazy high standard for what it looks like to serve one another. And so if you've been hesitant to serve, and I get that, I really do. I just want to encourage you, see the example of Jesus and step out and do it. Um, here's a few practical ways that you could serve. Uh, one, we watched that video a minute ago about foster care. Uh, maybe you can step up and you can look at adopting a kid or doing respite care or supporting foster families in the church. Maybe for you, uh, you can ask someone this week in your community group, what do you need? How could I serve you? What does it look like for me to wash your feet? Maybe you could take someone a meal who's in need. Maybe you could ask someone out to coffee who's really hurting right now and going through a terrible time. Maybe you could watch someone's kids or so many other things, right? Like practically, what does it look like in your life to wash some feet? I know that this church has a lot of great ministries. You could serve in the kids' ministry upstairs. You could get on stage and help out with the band. Serve at the tech booth. They're like, just what practically does it look like for you to wash some feet? Um, and I just, yeah, I want to take some time here to think about together. How amazing would it be in Coa Somerville if all of us were living like this? If all of us said, we want to serve one another. We want to empty ourselves out to wash the feet of those around us. And what kind of church would this be, Right? The hurting people who would find healing. The people in deep need who would find the help that they need. How Somerville would be able to look in and say, like, this church is different. Like, these people actually care about each other. They're getting into the messy places that no one else wants to do. Like, lost people who don't know Jesus get to see, like, this church is different. We want to be a part of that. I mean, just imagine how beautiful it would be if we were all a support net in each other's lives. Um, I think that would be amazing. And we do all of that because we have a Savior who was plunged into the wrath of God so that you could be cleansed. He became filth so that you could be clean. He took your dirt so that you could be washed. And he died on a cross so that you could be loved by God and transformed into a person who is humble and sacrificial and self-giving and hierarchy-defying. So let's be that kind of church. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church. Lord, I ask um, in all of our lives this week that we would be amazed by the love that you have for us displayed by the way that you've washed us. Lord, you emptied yourself so that we could be cleansed and made whole and be pure in your eyes. God, I pray that we would embrace that. Lord, that we would live different, that we would go and wash some feet this week. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for this church. I ask that you would bless them as they wash some feet. It's in your name I pray. Amen.